everybody. How are you? Good, good, good to be here. We're about two weeks out, maybe within two weeks of baby coming. So I don't know. Yeah, baby girl is on her. It will be here soon. So I don't know how much more I can be up here. It might not see me for a while. Um, and so every opportunity I get to be here is a blessing and an honor. But uh, excited to have uh, a little little daughter on her way soon. I think Amy's probably more excited. Um, <laughs> To, to have her out than I am, but uh, excited to be here, and uh, again, an honor to be here with you guys. Um, <clears throat> before I, I dive into the, the message today, I, I want to take care of a little bit of a family business as well. So, um, you know, as you may or may not know, we we lost a hero of the faith this week. He went to to be with the Lord, uh, Kelly Taylor, and some of his his family is here. And you know, as a, a fellow Kelly, it's always a a kindred heart when you see another man named Kelly. We always had that kind of bond, like we get each other, you know. And especially when he greeted us. And so let's let's pray for 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 the Taylor family and and for David and Nicole and that family because this is this is a hard time, as we all know. You know, death is a reality. But with the Lord, it's, it's never the, the final word. Amen? So let's pray. Father, we just lift up the Taylor family and all the family that is grieving uh, Kelly's loss today, Lord. And we know that in you, we will see Kelly again. That today he is uh, amongst the cloud of witnesses of the faith. Lord, those who have the legacy, who have gone before us, who have really paved the way for us to know you. Lord, that he is uh, one of those who, who we look to now as, as a hero in the faith. And so we just pray that you will be with the family during this time. Help us as a body to, to mourn with them and to be with them during this time and, and to rejoice with them also in the, the, the hope of, of seeing Kelly again in the future with, with you as we worship, as we, as we come together again, that it's never goodbye with you, but only see you later. And so we, we are with them and for them. We just pray that you immerse them in your love and comfort during this difficult time. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, all right. So we are continuing our Psalm series. You guys getting something out of this series? Good, good. I really enjoy the Psalms. Psalms are, the book of Psalms is one of my favorite Old Testament books. It's probably right there next to Genesis. And I love the fact that we have so much insight into the heart and and really this idea of how do we relate to God. That's really, when I read the Psalms, I'm getting insight into how I can relate to God in my own personal life. It's like entering into King David's prayer room and getting insight into how he is relating and how we can also relate to God. And, and today I want to look at that scope as well as far as how can we relate to God 
And, and I'm going to talk about Psalm 7. Psalm 7 is a text I'm going to be exploring with you. But I want to first set the stage because every psalm also has a context. And if you know me, you know context is a big deal for me. But I want to ask you this question. How many of you have heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? How many of you know that's not true? Yes? I used to say that all the time as a kid to try to kind of cover up some of that as, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. In fact, I think the the words that are said are probably often more hurtful than the physical things that we get hurt with, right? Because physical things you you can't really hide. Everyone kind of gives you that empathy when you walk in on crutches, right? We were at Utah County last night. I had somebody who had their leg up in a cast, and I had somebody walking in with a walker. I mean, we were just a walking example of the physical pain that happens in this world. But the emotional pain often is a lot more difficult because it isn't so apparent. It is a, we are able to hide it. We are able to, to bury it. And so I want to talk a bit about how we are to relate to God in those times when, hurt, when words hurt the most. How do we relate to God when words hurt the most? And what you'll notice and probably what you'll do as you reflect on this a little bit is the closer you are in relationship with someone, the weightier the words are and the greater the hurt is when words are used like sticks and stones against us. You know, words can be used to build people up. They can also be used to tear people down. You know, when I was a kid, um, as an athlete many, many years ago, for me, I had two older brothers. And so for me, as a younger brother, I always felt like this kind of inherent need to, to make my father proud with my athletic abilities. This was nothing that he set the stage for. He's never set the standard for that. But it was something I think is because I had older brothers and I wanted to be better than them at everything that I needed to my father's approval to make me to be proud of me for that. And, and when he would say he was proud of me, it carried with it a lot more weight than maybe a coach or a teacher would say. In the same way, anything that was said also I took to heart a lot greater. I took it to, in a way that was more serious. And on the negative side, speaking of the name Kelly, you know, I was at a, a church camp, and I unfortunately grew up in the age of Kelly Kapowski's, and if you guys have seen Saved by the Bell, and, and Kelly the Barbie dolls, you know, my generation of Kelly, we really struggled through life, okay? And so I, I went to church camp one year, and you know, you think in church camp, everyone is going to be nice, and everyone's going to love Jesus. Well, I got teased up and down that place for having the name Kelly. Eight-year-old me didn't quite know how to handle that one, and that was a rough week. And we in church camp for a couple years. I had to end up going back with one of my buddies who was about 6'5 and 250 pounds, and nobody said anything after that. <laughs> but when we hear things that are, are negative, sometimes we, we take those to heart, and it, it hurts us. And if you're married or if you have been married, you understand the weight of the words of your spouse, don't you? And not only building you up, but also in the ability to tear you down. And so words can be useful and helpful, but they can also be hurtful and bring you to a place of, of when sticks and stones can really break you down emotionally. All of us have been through situations where we have either said something or have had something said to us that has emotionally hurt us, emotionally brought us into a place of, of a negative consequence 
or a place of, of emotional trauma in one way or another. And one of the most hurtful forms that I think I've seen of verbal hurt is slander. I think slander is one of the most hurtful. It's, it's such a betrayal of one's character, and it's such a, a divisive component to a community of people, is slander. And Psalm 7 really gives us insight into how David is reflecting into what slander has done and how he is reflecting into where his relationship with God comes into play when we are slandered. Because how many of you have been slandered? How many of you have been misrepresented? Someone has made assumptions about your character. Someone has, has made assumptions about your motives that are counter to what you intended or counter to what you had in mind or who you think you are. And how many of you have done that too? Have slandered someone, maybe omittedly, not knowing that that was what you were doing, but maybe you made assumptions too quickly. I think all of us raise our hands for either one, right? That we have not only been the slanderer, but we have also been slandered in one way or another. Because slander really is just a craft of destruction to the heart. It really is something that that wounds us and, and finds a home in our hearts deeply when it happens to us, especially when we're in close relationships, especially when it's things like church families or families outside of church or, or best friends or even coworkers that you're close with. It causes a craft of destruction. And a lot of times what happens if it goes undressed, unaddressed, it starts to build walls, doesn't it? Walls are established to safeguard and protect the things that we are hurting from. And that's another reason why it causes so much division within a community is now we lose the trust we have in one another. You know, for the community to function well, especially as a church, it must function where the one person next to you trusts that person next to them for this to really be effective. And that's why slander can be so destructive, not only to the heart of an individual where it builds walls, but to the the community in general. So slander is a craft of destruction to the heart of the individual being slandered, and it also causes division in the community to which they are a part. I think we've all seen that. We've all experienced that. We all know what what I'm talking about with this. So in those moments, though, of being slandered, when you have first found out this person has slandered me, how do we relate to God? In the lowest of lowest parts of that time, how do we relate to God? When, when we're ready to, to put up the walls, when we're ready to, to run away from community, when we're ready to, to completely isolate and hide, how do we relate to God in those moments? Because I don't know if you're, about, if you're like me, but when I found out I get slandered, I'm ready to just go hide in a hole. But you? I'm ready to, to kind of resist temptation a little bit less this week. I kind of have the, the screw it mentality. You know, hey, I'm already so low. Why, am I, why not just take it lower? Why not dig that hole even deeper? Am I the only one who thinks that way? Good. There's a few chuckles. That probably means you agree. How do we relate to God? Because the first thing we need to do is how our relationship to God must function when we are in those pits. So how do we relate to God when we are hurting from people's sticks and stones? How do we relate to God when we are hurting from people's sticks and stones? 
So let's dive into the, the context of the psalm to understand more of why David is writing Psalm 7. So before David was King David, he was hotshot David. He was the up-and-coming popular celebrity in Saul's court. All of Israel was, boy, this guy is, is the up-and-coming hero of Israel. Right? When, when the ladies are in the streets crying out, Saul kills his thousands and David kills his tens of thousands, you know you've made it. Right? Warrior societies right, raised their, their kings up as warriors and people who were able to defend them. And we read about, like in 1 Samuel 18, how Saul became jealous of David's apparent celebrityness, thinking, boy, I'm the king, but this young buck here is getting all the glory. And we start to see some of this tension begin to build in Saul's heart about how he is perceiving David. All David is doing is following what Saul is commanding him to do, right? Just defending his people against the Philistines. Yet because he's very good at it, there is a contentious spirit starting to develop in Saul's heart, and he becomes jealous. In fact, you think about the relationship between Saul and David at this point. David is a son to Saul. Saul has, has brought him into the household, and David is now looking to Saul as a fatherly figure, a mentor of things, someone to learn from and to be guided by. Saul's son Jonathan and David are, are best friends. You know, you think about Saul and David in the, in the court. A court would have been a, a really tight-knit group of allies or, or nobles or, or fellow warriors of Israel. They would have all known each other. And so there were some even who were in Saul's court, like this person Cush. His name is Cush. He's a Benjamite, which means he's from the same tribe or a kinsman of Saul, who are starting to slander David even to, the, to, to King Saul's ears. So they're going to, he's going to Saul and he's going, David wants to ruin you. David wants to take your crown. David wants to be greater than you. David wants what you have. And those seeds are starting to develop into action. Where when we read in 1 Samuel 24, Saul is actually pursuing David and wants to kill him because of these slanders. So David is running with a few men out through the wilderness, hiding caves to try to escape what Saul is going to do to him. And you think about the emotional trial this must have been for David, that someone who he looked to as a father is now trying to kill him. Someone who brought him into his home and someone he looked up to is now trying to pursue him and kill him for nothing that he did, for just following orders as he was supposed to do. You think about the friendships that were tied, were cut because of this. Uh, this Cush was probably someone to David who he thought he was an ally and a friend and someone he could confide in. Yet behind David's back, Cush was spoiling and, and speaking against David, slandering his name. And you think about the kingdom of Israel at this time. They were a constant war with the Philistines, which means that the kingdom is now divided. That some are following David and some are following Saul, so now they are a weakened kingdom. In 1 Samuel 24, it talks about how Saul is pursuing David and actually has to leave the pursuit to go defend Israel from a Philistine attack. So there is a, a, even a, an environment of civil war in the nation of Israel at this time because of the slanders. So now we're dealing with the emotional loss 
that David is, re- is working through from just personally, but also the, the toil of the community being torn apart because of these lies and slanders against David. I think we can all appreciate the pain that he must have been feeling at this time because we have also felt that pain. We can appreciate the confusion because we also have gone through the confusion of not understanding why these things are being said about us. We all appreciate the sense of loss that David is probably going through living in caves, running from place to place, afraid if he's going to be able to see tomorrow. That his friends have turned on him. That his nation has turned on him. He must have felt utterly isolated and alone. You guys ever been there? few of you. So Psalm 7 is David's reflection of this time. Psalm 7 is David's reflection of how he was relating to God and who God is during this time in our lives, when slander is at our doorsteps, in our communities, against us all the time, ready to divide us. It's a painful time. So let's learn in Psalm 7 what David and what the Lord wants to speak to us here in this reflection. And in fact, this is really a lament of David that he is, he's laying out here for us. So if you want to turn to your Bibles, I'm going to read Psalm 7. I'll just read the whole thing for you briefly, and then we'll dive into it. So let the, let the Lord speak to you as I read this. Psalm 7 says, I take refuge in you, Lord, my God. Save me from all who chase me. Rescue me. Otherwise, they will rip me apart, dragging me off with no chance of rescue. Lord, my God, if I have done this, if my hands have done anything wrong, if I have repaid a friend with evil or oppressed a foe for no reason, then let my enemy not chase, but catch me, trampling my life into the ground, laying my reputation in the dirt. Get up, Lord, get angry, stand against the fury of my foes. Wake up, my God, you command that justice be done. Let the assembled peoples surround you. Rule them on high. The Lord will judge the peoples. Establish justice for me, Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity. Please let the evil of the wicked be over, but set the righteous firmly in place, because you, the righteous God, are the one who examines hearts and minds. God is my shield. He saves those whose heart is right. God is a righteous judge, a God who is angry at evil every single day. If someone doesn't change their ways, God will sharpen his sword, will bend his bow, will string an arrow. God has deadly weapons in store for those who won't change. He gets his flaming arrows ready. But look how the wicked hatch evil, conceive trouble, give birth to lies. They make a pit, dig it all out, and then fall right into the hole they've made. The trouble they cause will come back on their own heads. The violence they commit will come down on their own skulls. But I will thank the Lord for his righteousness. I will sing praises to the name of the Lord Most High. Will you pray with me? Father God, we just open up our hearts and minds to what you want to teach us in this passage. Lord, we want to know how to relate to you in these times of of real deep sorrow and hurt. Lord, when people closest to us have, have said things that have slandered us and hurt us, wounded us deeply. How do we relate to you, God? Show us this in your word. Speak to us in a way that will bring healing. Speak to us in a way that if we are slandering, Lord, that we will change our ways. Lord, help us to to walk away changed, 
transformed by your power and by your spirit today. In Jesus' name, if you agree, say amen. Okay, so how do we relate to God in these times of hurt? Well, the first thing we recognize in verses 1 through 2 is that we must sit with our pain. When this happens, you are going to have to sit in your pain. It's going to be a reality. In fact, to be in community with people means you're probably going to have things like this happen to you. It's a normal thing. It doesn't make it right or it makes it good, but it makes it a reality. First, you have to see this as a reality. You have to sit with the pain. And, and there's two things that happen here. One is you sit with the pain and only the pain and you isolate and you sit with it in a vacuum. And this is going to grow a lot of bitterness. This is going to build a lot of walls. This is going to build a lot of cynicism against people, against communities, whatever it is. You're going to sit in a vacuum with your pain. Your pain is going to de redefine who you are. And it's going to transform the way you think. Or you can sit with your pain and with the Lord. That you aren't alone in sitting in your pain. In fact, look at the first verse. I take refuge in you, Lord my God. David had a lot of celebrity power here. There were a lot of people in his camp. He could have said, I take refuge in all the great numbers of people you've given me. I take refuge in my great ability to fight these wars and, and I will go against Saul and I will take him on head on because of these slanders. That's, that's not what he does, is it? He goes, I know where I first must sit and that is in the refuge of my Lord that I will sit with him in my pain, that he is not going to leave me alone in my pain, that he is going to sit with me in my pain. In fact, I can run to him and find safety and security in my pain with him because we have a God that empathizes and knows what it's like to be slandered. We call it blasphemy, that every day people will slander the name of God and he hears all of it. So we can run to the refuge of the Lord and he understands exactly what we're going through. There's times where you can't even articulate it because of the confusion you're going through. Sometimes I'll go before the Lord. I go, I don't even know what to say, but you know what's going on in here. Read my heart and my mind, God, because I can't even express the pain that I feel right now. You guys ever been there? I like to get alone with God. I like to get away and, and sit and, and be able to sit with him. And, and this idea that we read over and over again in the psalm is wait on the Lord. This is so incredibly difficult to do because I don't know about you, but everything in me wants to do things that are going to try to make me feel better. I want to go up to that slanderer right to their face and say, why are you slandering me? But I also know that I need to sit with the Lord and wait on him to find perspective. To see what he is trying to, to speak into my life through this slander. We must see the first step in relating to him is to go to him. To see him as our refuge and our shelter. Not the other things of the world. Because this shows us where our faith is. Where our dependency is. And in the times of the deepest hurt, that is the greatest test of the heart as to how and where we go to when we are hurting. And the Lord says, come to me. 
I will bring you in. I will be your refuge. I will be your safety. Come to me and express to me what is going on with you and in you. This gives us a perspective that we need to see through God's eyes. How does he see you? What does he think about you? What does he say about you? Rather than those who are speaking against you. Because if we don't take it to him, a lot of times we start believing what people have to say about us. We start thinking about like, like the way those who are coming against us. What we need to do is fight the war in our minds and understand that God really does love you. He loves you right where you're at, in the season that you're in, in the pain that you're immersed in, in the isolation and the loss of community that you're in. He says, I am going to meet you. Come to me as your refuge, your place of security. And what often I see happen in this perspective is I also get revealed in me a lot of places I need to be a lot more humble. Because in those moments of being slandered, I am ready in my flesh to just go, can you believe what they said to me, God? You would never, why would you allow this to happen? And it's kind of the the gentle fatherly kind of way he comes and he goes, well, let's talk about some of the things that you've said. And I go, I don't want to talk about that right now. (laughs) This is about me. Let's keep it on focus here, right? What he does is he tends to to minister to us in that way. He he brings us not from a place of arrogant entitlement because we've been hurt, but really a place of of humility. Bringing us to a place where we'll understand, boy, I, I really need you than I need everything else. And it's really not about me, but about your honor being thrown through the the rags, through what you desire. We start seeing a different perspective. And in fact, I've walked away from some of the hardest slanders in my life, tighter and closer to the Lord than I was going into it. But that's not the case for everybody. Sometimes you go through these things and all you want to do is push away. Everything in you says, God, I don't, I don't really trust you right now because this stuff happened. We can come to the Lord and find security and refuge in him, and we can actually grow closer by means of things that were meant to destroy us. That's the beauty of what God can do, is that the things that were meant to destroy us, the things that were crafts of destruction to us personally or in the community, can actually build us up and grow us tighter together if we decide to build bridges instead of walls in our hearts. Because the Lord is ready to break through the calloused hard hearts that pain has absolutely built around us and soften us up to the place where we're full of humility and compassion and gentleness and kindness and grace and truth. So God understands where you're at He's empathetic. He he himself has been slandered. And so we have a a validator that that we can come to. Someone who understands us. Because that's really what we're craving, right? We want someone who's going to understand us in those moments, don't we? That's why people mess it up sometimes. That's why you don't go straight to people. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes you run into a fix-it person. And someone's just like, here's 10 ways you're going to fix your pain. And you're like, I just want you to sit with me for a little while. 
Okay? God's like, I'm just going to let you sit with me. And this could take a while. This isn't one of those things like, all right, I spent 30 minutes with the Lord in the closet. I'm, I'm good. Okay? This could take a while, all right? Like, be patient with this. Some of you may be like, I'm doing this, Kelly, but I'm not feeling any better. Keep doing it. Keep spending time with him. Keep expressing how you're like, I don't, I'm, be, be upset with because you don't see anything yet. That's okay too. Build an authentic, authenticity with the Lord in this way. But see him as your refuge. This is the number one way. If we don't do this, bitterness will be rooted, walls will be put up, and we will lose the perspective of what God wants to speak to us. So sit with your pain and with the Lord is the first step in the time. See him as your refuge. And then he goes into an interesting part. In verses three through five, he says, Lord, my God, if I have done this, if my hands have done anything wrong, if I've repaid a friend with evil or oppressed a foe for no reason, then let my enemy not only chase me, but catch me, trampling my life into the ground, laying my reputation in the dirt. This is David's way of saying, I don't have to defend myself. When slander comes against us, the first thing we want to do is go, oh yeah? Will you do that too, right? David's like, I don't have to defend myself. So we don't have to defend, your, defend yourself against slander. Don't feel like you have to do that all the time. There are times when you will speak to somebody. I mean, when you spend time with the Lord and then you go speak to somebody, that's, that's good. But make sure you spend time with the Lord first. But don't feel the pressure to have to defend yourself. The more I've, I've matured in ministry, the more I've realized I can't defend myself against every slander. I can't defend myself against every criticism. So don't try. There's a, there's a great quote I want to read you from Dr. Karen Leaf. She says, you cannot control how other people choose to perceive you and the story of you and about you that they choose to believe. But you can control how you respond to that narrative and what you choose to believe. Isn't that right on? You can't control how people see you. All you know is like, God, I, I, like David here, I didn't spread these slanders. I am the one being slandered. Prove my innocence. Because the Lord understands your innocence. And he searches your mind and heart also to see what things need to be rooted out. Because a lot of times in these, in these times of, of getting absolutely wrecked emotionally, a lot of times too, God is, is pulling out some of these areas that you have done this to other people. And you start to see it through the lens that maybe you, weren't, you were missing. And you're like, boy, this doesn't feel good. I never want to put somebody in this position. But don't try to defend yourself. There might be a time when you're able to, to come to that person and say, hey, what you did to me was hurtful and harmful. In fact, Jesus even says we should warn a divisive person twice and then the third time have nothing to do with them. Right? So there is a component of, of approaching this person, but make sure that you understand what's going on first in your heart before you approach. Because I've seen that done kind of preemptively, and it becomes very destructive when we don't spend the time with the Lord first and when we care too much trying to defend ourselves. And that leads into this, that nothing is wasted in the Lord. This is something to remember, that, that every experience we go through, every hurt, problem we have, every emotional struggle we go through, even though the Lord didn't ordain that in you, he is going to use it. It's an opportunity for him to develop you, 
to show you who he is, to reveal his character. Because sometimes you may not understand what it's like to take refuge in the Lord until you have to take refuge in the Lord. When you have nothing else to take refuge in, he is not going to waste this time. He is going to renew, transform you through this type of experience. I get a lot of hope from that, knowing that nothing is ever wasted, that God is going to use these things, that what people used and intended to destroy me, God will use for the good in my life and in the life of my community. So he understands your innocence. So don't try to defend yourselves. And then we see a different side of the Lord that many of you may have not ever seen before. We see a a warrior Lord, come to picture here in Psalms. Verses six through nine, David says, get up, Lord. This is the idea of getting off your throne. Get up, Lord, get angry. How many of you ever said that to God? I I don't think I've ever said that. Get angry, God. Stand up against the fury of my foes. Wake up, my God. You command that justice be done. Okay, so he is is calling out to the Lord is to speak. Stand up, be my defender in this. You realize he's not going, hey, all you thousands of people who are behind me, be my defender in this. Wage civil war. No, he's going, God, you be my defender. You are the defender of the innocent. You stand up for me. You oppose the slanderer because you detest it so much. We read in Proverbs that God hates and detests lies and slander. And he opposes the arrogant and the proud. That the Lord is going to stand and protect in opposition to those who are throwing sticks and stones. Which is why when we have to be very careful with how we make assumptions into people's lives. And how we may misrepresent people because I don't know about you, I don't want to be on the side where God is opposing me. That is horrifying. That we must make every effort as a people and as believers and people in the assembly of God to make sure that we are properly representing people when we speak about them, that we understand them before we make assumptions. Because so easily that can turn into slander. Because the Lord is going to oppose, stand up against those who spread lies falsely. And then he turns into this idea of plurality with with the idea of the assembled peoples. He says, gather your people around you for this cause. Gather your people around you for the cause of opposing those who perpetrate crimes against the innocent. And that today is about us, the people of God. That we are in tune with what our Lord is opposing, and we are also going to stand united as an assembled people to oppose and protect the innocent. Those who are marginalized, those who are wounded, those who are, are buried and hurt, that we are a people who are called to also sit among them and to protect them. And so often what happens is the like in Saul's court, the slander also, also most times has a louder voice than those who are wounded and hurt, right? The slanderer is very good at making sure that he or she is the the kind of the loudest voice in the room to make sure people's heads are turned their way. And so what happens a lot of times, even inadvertently, is that the assembled peoples or the the king's court, for example, in Saul's day, they were like, well, I guess Cush is right. I guess David is trying to overthrow Saul. We'll just side with him. 
not realizing they were throwing the wounded, the broken, and the innocent out into the wilderness. And so that is something, a, a, something as a group of people, as a church, for example, that we must make our due diligence in making sure we are not protecting those who are inflicting the damage, but are ministering to those who are in the pit and hurt and broken and are sitting with the Lord to make sure that we are an assembled people under the rulership of our king, pursuing the same goals, opposing the same sticks and stones that are coming against us. That's an important piece. And then he continues on with, God is my shield. He saves those whose heart is right. God is a righteous judge, a God who is angry at evil every single day. If someone doesn't change their ways, God will sharpen his sword, will bend his bow, will string his arrow. God has deadly weapons in store for those who won't change. He gets flaming arrows ready. I love the fact that we have a God who's willing to go to battle for us, for you, for me, for his people. He is ready to immerse himself into these fights. He is a warrior king in this sense to protect those who are innocent. That he is our shield that he pursues the righteousness, the right standing. You know, in this psalm, it's really more about doing the right thing and, and being innocent versus being the wicked and the perpetrator. That God is always going to protect those who are in the right standing with him. He protects the innocent, is David's cry here. And this challenges us, doesn't it? It challenges us to look at our own hearts and minds as God is examining our hearts and minds, isn't he? What is he going to see in you today when he's examining his heart and mind around this topic? Is he going to see someone who is quick to slander? Is he going to see someone who makes assumptions and misrepresentations of people defining character without any kind of basis? Or is he seeing someone who's open and is going to work hard to build bridges instead of building walls, to understand one another, to overcome the jealousies that we may have for one another, the things that cause division amongst us? Because really what happens is that those who slander and those who decide that this is the way they're going to live their lives are cruising what my dad said, cruising for a bruising. That your sin will be found out eventually. That slander has a way of coming back on somebody's head, doesn't it? A lion has a way of coming right back on top of somebody's head. And that's what David is saying here in the end of the psalm, that these things will be found out, that God will expose these areas. Notice it's not David exposing these areas. Like, when you're in these positions, you don't feel the need to have to expose it all. But you trust that God is going to expose it in time. And this should make us stop and think, how can today be different? How can today change our trajectory of our lives by saying that I'm done trying to pursue gain through dishonest means or by slandering people, but by trusting in the Lord before everything else? Because I know a lot of you probably hate that this happens. You might hate that you do it. I know I did when I was preparing this with all these things. God likes to bring all of these things up when I'm writing these things. Like, stop it. I get it. 
but it gives us a chance to change because if we don't change, this is the reality apart from Christ. This is the reality apart from Christ is a destruction. And that's what we need to be wary of here is that the Lord is our refuge for sure. But if we do not seek him and we decide to do and work and slander amongst one another, the destruction is the end of the road. That is the truth of it. That there is no good fruit at the end of that tunnel, that there is only destruction. So will you stand with me while I I end here? I want to give an opportunity to respond to this message because it's an important one. And I don't know where some of you are at. Obviously, the emotional hurt that we go through was easy to hide. So I know that there's probably some of you in here who are going through some of this. So you understand what it means to be in the bottom and not knowing where to go with it and the confusion and the sadness and the pain. So I want to give you an opportunity first and foremost to you who who need to see this, that the Lord is your refuge and your, your shelter, the place to run to when you are hurting and broken. So if you bow your heads, let me just pray for you. And if, if you feel comfortable raising your hand in doing that, you know, we'll, if you, people around you are raising your hands, you do that, just put your hand on their shoulder. Just pray for them because they're in a hard place. And we are the assembled peoples of God. We're there to minister to these people. So just raise your hand. If you're in that pit right now, you've been hurt by words. Sticks and stones have done a lot of damage to your heart. And you don't want the callousness and the hardness. We just raise your hand. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay to let people know you're hurting. It's good. We are a community of people. Let's pray for you. Father, we lift up these souls to you, these hearts who are hurting. Lord, we pray that they take refuge in you, that they find their value, their worth in you. Lord, that they see you you as their protector, as their definer, as the person who is going to come and overwhelm them with truth and grace. Lord, give them opportunities to sit with you, to understand you, to untangle the lies and the slander that have come against them. Lord, work through these situations in them, sharpen them, grow them, mature them and develop them as people who are going to come out of this with greater humility, deeper relationships with you and with people around them. But this will be an opportunity to build bridges amongst one another rather than walls. Rather than developing calloused hearts, we have soft hearts that are ready to be molded and formed by you. I pray for everyone who's watching online, who are struggling with this, who are hurting deeply by things that have been been said about them, that have happened to them. Lord, I pray that you just break through the hardness that may have calloused over for the many years. Reveal to them the love that you have for them, the purpose to which you have formed them, the life that you have called them to, to be close to you, in relationship to you, to to pursue the things you have for them rather than worry about what other people 
are thinking, or what other people are saying about them. Bring them to a place of hallelujah and victory and praise, God. And I want to pray for also those who might be struggling with slander. Now, it's okay also to admit that you're struggling with sin. We've all do that. The first thing to do is to express it. The first thing to do is to expose it so it loses its power. So if you're, and you don't have to raise your hand. You can if you want to. But it, if this is something you're like, boy, I, I am struggling with this. I'm struggling with making assumptions. I'm struggling with misrepresenting people. I'm struggling with all of it. And you can even have the best intentions. But I know intentions sometimes can be the greatest deaths. That even with good intentions, it can still bring death. So Lord, I, I just lift up these people to you. The people who, who even omittedly are slandered, don't even have any idea, but are seeing the effects of it in their lives. Or even those who do, they, they struggle with jealousy. They struggle with, with wanting the things that other people have, like Saul did with David. Break that right now in Jesus' name. Break through that right now. Destroy that stronghold in our lives where we are building walls over each other. We are looking at each other with discontent and, and even malice and distrust. Lord, break that divisive hold that we may look at each other with, with compassion and kindness and trust, vulnerability and authenticity rather than so much guardedness. So break through that, Lord. Help us to be a people who are unified for your purpose, that detests the things you detest and love the things you love, which is to be of one mind and one heart. You love that about us, Lord, as we are unified with you, Christ. We are unified together as your body. So break through that. Open up minds and hearts to what you want to speak to them today, all of us today. But bring healing in this area, Lord. Let the Adventure Church be a people who are of one mind and one heart around how we are going to oppose slander, how we are going to protect the innocent, how we are going to stand with you in defending those who are hurting and broken and wounded. Bring healing in this area, Lord, I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you this weekend. I hope you get some time with the Lord.